Good morning. First of all, I just want to say thank you for having us here this morning. Uh, we're grateful anytime we get to come out and share our message. And, um, you know, the Grove Church, especially you guys, have been such an important part uh, of our ministry lately. And so we appreciate each and every one of y'all. And we just want to say thank you for having us here today. Uh, my name is Rand, and I'm a graduate of the Minna Maya. And when I was a kid, I never thought that I would grow up to become an addict. I played all the sports, I made decent grades in school, and my family was pretty involved with the local church. So going into high school, I had no idea that my life was about to take a drastic turn. From the outside, I thought my parents had a perfect marriage, but in my sophomore year, they got divorced, and I soon realized that things weren't as perfect as I thought they were. My brother and my sister moved out with my dad, and I stayed behind with my mom, and I started doing whatever I wanted to do. And one night while I was at a friend's house, I had drank for the first time, and I really liked the way that it made me feel. A few weeks later, I smoked weed for the first time, and I knew that this was something that I wanted to do every single day. And so that's exactly what I did. And when my friends could sober up and continue going with their lives, I wanted more. And pretty soon, drugs and alcohol became the center of my life, and I dropped out of high school, I moved out of my mom's house, and I started on a long battle with addiction. While addiction is part of my story, it's also a part of many people's stories. In 2021, over 100,000 people died from drug overdoses. The CDC reports that every year, more than 140,000 people die from causes related to excessive alcohol use. 85% of our prison population has a drug problem or they're incarcerated for a crime that was drug-related. And 50% of people 12 and older have used illicit drugs at least once in their lifetime. And if we combine the number of alcohol and drug-related deaths, that's a daily average of over 650 people who lose their lives every single day. And with the emergence of drugs like fentanyl, these numbers are rising, and it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of all the people who are out there right now battling with addiction. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And here's a story about Jesus encountering a man who's possessed by demons. And in this passage, there are many parallels to what addiction is like for an addict. And so at the end of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are crossing over the Sea of Galilee when a storm hits. And exhausted from a long day of teaching, Jesus is taking a nap in the stern of the boat and his disciples start freaking out when the storm hits because the boat is filling up with water. And so they go and get Jesus, and when he wakes up, he commands the storm to be still. Y'all know the story. And that's exactly where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5. The Bible says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. <clears throat> and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So here's a man who's completely out of his mind. He's possessed. Something has taken control of him. Right? He's been outcasted because of his condition. He's basically living in a graveyard. No one could bind him. No one had the strength to subdue him. He would break apart the chains, and night and day he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And this is a feeling that me and a lot of my brothers over here and maybe some people in here can relate to, this feeling of 
complete hopelessness. And in the same way, addiction can take us to some very dark places. For me, what started with alcohol and weed would eventually grow into a full-blown heroin and methamphetamine addiction. Drugs and alcohol took possession of my life, and because of this, I was separated from my family. I lost everything I had. I had bouts of homelessness. I was in and out of jail, and eventually I would go to prison. And even though there were so many people who, who loved me and cared for me and they tried to help me, nobody had the strength. And so I was stuck in this pattern of crying out for help because I truly wanted to change, but I was also destroying myself. And chances are everybody in here has had some kind of experience with addiction, whether it's a friend, a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's you. More than likely, someone you know has struggled, is struggling, or is in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Experts say for every addict or alcoholic, 17 people are directly affected. Addiction doesn't care where you're from, what school you went to, what zip code you live in, what kind of parents you have, what socioeconomic background you come from. This is a real problem, and it's affecting all of us. In 1956, the American Medical Association declared alcoholism a disease. And the reason why is because of its predictability. It's a combination between a mental obsession and a physical craving that only affects about one out of 10 people. And so if you get addiction, we pretty much know exactly what's going to happen. First, we make a resolution to quit. We're never going to use again, right? Then as time passes, our minds tell us that it really wasn't that bad. I'm just going to use a little bit this time, and it's going to be different. Then as soon as we use, the physical craving kicks in, and we almost always use too much. And that's the perpetual cycle of addiction. It's that predictable. And one of the top questions we get is, how can you tell if someone is truly an addict or an alcoholic? And the simple answer is this. If someone can stop using drugs and drinking by themselves, then they're probably not an addict, and that's good news. But if they've tried everything and they want to stop but can't, then they may be one of us. That means willpower doesn't work. Quitting for your kids doesn't work. A crying spouse doesn't work. Threats, health issues, legal troubles, no matter how bad an addict wants and needs to stop, they can't. That's addiction. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says this, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit drinking entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably an alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And so make no mistake about it, we cannot get sober without God. But the way that addicts find their way to God is usually different from other people. Right? See, there's a lot of misconceptions about addiction, and so for a lot of us, we've tried the God thing, and it just didn't work. Right? But it's not because of God. It's not God's fault. It's because of something that's inside of us. In recovery, we meet a lot of people who are angry with God. We meet a lot of people who are afraid of God. They feel like God could never forgive them for what they've done. Some people have religious wounds, and so the whole idea of God turns people away. But regardless, God is still the solution, and so we have to find him. The 12 steps take biblical principles, and they condense them into a program of recovery. And what they do is they move us away from what traditionally hasn't worked for us and what we can't do to what does work and what we can do. And the whole purpose of the 12 steps is that we would come to experience God for ourselves, a real, authentic relationship. 
See, I didn't know what having a real relationship with God looked like. I grew up in church. I prayed when I really wanted something, but that's about it. And eventually, as my addiction progressed, I started to doubt if God even existed. And the problem was, I thought I had faith, but I never took any action. And that's exactly what the steps taught me how to do. But first, I had to find out what was blocking me off from God in the first place. What sin issues did I have? What character defects were controlling my life? Self-centeredness, resentments, dishonesty, the big one, fear. Fear drove my whole life. Then, once I had an inventory of all the things that were driving my life, I had to learn how to change my behavior with God's help. And because of the destruction that I left behind, I also needed to clean up my past and make amends with the people that I've harmed. And ultimately, what happens when we continue to work these steps is we learn how to make God the center of our lives. Right? We taste and we see what living in God's will feels like. On my road to recovery, there were so many people with good intentions, good-hearted people, and they would say things like, man, Rand, just make up your mind. Right? If, you, if you really wanted to stop using you'd stop. Just say no, right? You need to pray more. You need to go to church. I did all these things, and I still got high. And that's because addiction is really just a symptom of something deeper. And what the steps did for me and many of my brothers and a lot of people in recovery is they presented a pathway to a real relationship with Jesus. And it's God, through his saving grace and our faithful action, that finally frees us from addiction. Now, I know that I've been talking about drugs and alcohol because that's my experience. That's what's real to me. But addiction is a much broader issue than just alcohol and drugs. I want to be careful about how I say this, but I believe that everybody is addicted to something, right? It's easy to get caught up in the grip of addiction to a lot of things. Food, TV, pleasure, distractions, popularity, wealth, social media, body image, whatever, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you don't have to be a heroin addict to understand the pain of addiction. Because what it boils down to is really just a heart issue that only God can fix. Just like the man who was possessed crying out and cutting himself with stones, he sees Jesus in verse 6, and that's where we'll pick up. The Bible says that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And if we keep reading, Jesus restores the man and he casts out the demons. See, even the man that was possessed knew that the only person who could set him free was our Lord. Even the demons that were inside of him were fully aware of the divinity of Christ and his power to set the man free. Right? In other words, there's nothing inside of us, nothing that's gripping us more powerful than God himself. And when we finally realize that, then we see that addiction of all kinds has a way of bringing us to a place of total surrender and desperation. And for me, out of that desperation, I finally saw Jesus for myself, right? Not my parents' Jesus, not somebody else's Jesus, but the Jesus who revealed himself in my pain and met me right where I was at. Right? Jesus always went to where the pain was. And my transformation came through a real relationship with God and with God's people. You see, the opposite of addiction is relationship. 
The opposite of addiction is relationship. Broken relationships are what keep us at odds with the world around us. Resentments, bitterness, unforgiveness, right? If you're human, then you've more than likely experienced some form of broken relationships. And the outcome, for me at least, was isolation and separation. I had too much shame to come around the people that I loved, and I had too much pride to ask for help. And so when I was in prison, I made a lot of promises to my family that I was going to finally get my life together. And I meant it, and they believed me. But as soon as I got out, it wasn't even a month before I relapsed, and this time my downward spiral was faster than ever. I found myself homeless. I was out of my mind. I was completely strung out. But in that moment, I finally had enough, and I was willing to do anything to get sober. And so when I made the decision to finally get some help, my family brought me to the men of Nehemiah, and that was the first place that I experienced authentic relationships. What I saw when I got there were graduates who used to be addicts, men from all walks of life, South Dallas, East Dallas, North Dallas. I saw men who used to be homeless, men who knew what it was like to walk in my shoes, but they were free. They were sober. They were new creations in Christ, and I wanted what they had. And it was through these relationships that I learned how to be vulnerable and transparent. I always saw that as a sign of weakness, but really it's a sign of strength. Because I saw that sharing pain opened the door for someone else to share their pain and how God brought them out of it. And that's where the healing came. Through transparency, I was finally able to deal with all the guilt, all the shame, all the resentments, all the fears. And I saw like, man, we are all broken. And in our brokenness, we're united, right? We're all the same. And, and Jesus loves all of us. And I found that at the men of Nehemiah. There's power in relationships. And for the first time, I learned how to get out of myself and help somebody else. Because my whole life up until this point was all about me, right? Even today, when, when, when I feel like I'm not spiritually fit, it's probably because I'm spending most of my time thinking about myself, and through helping others, my mind began to transform and the obsession of drugs and alcohol was lifted. I experienced the love of Christ through the people that God put into my life. And then I got to be the love of Christ for someone else. And when you've had an encounter with Jesus, your life bears witness to his glory. Just like this man right here in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And when he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, everyone marveled. See, Jesus told him to go back to his home. Jesus told him to go back to his family where relationships had been broken, right? To tell them what Jesus had done for him. And when he does, Everyone is blown away. It says that everyone marveled because he was a walking testimony of God's transformational power. And there's an adage in recovery we use. It says the only way to keep what we have is to give it away. And the 12th step of our program tells us that once we have had a spiritual experience, we're supposed to go and carry this message to other addicts and alcoholics. That's how we stay sober is by working with others. And as Christ's followers, we are called to carry his message to all people. Because when God frees us from something, whatever it is, we're now qualified to go back and bring somebody else out of the darkness. 
And so last time I was here, I shared how God had transformed my life. And by his grace, nothing's really changed, right? I'm going into my sixth year of sobriety, clean and sober. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. And that's, that's huge for me because, honestly, if you would have seen me back then, I never thought that I would get sober. Um, I'm still working at the men of Nehemiah. They haven't fired me yet, so that's a good thing, right? Still here, right? But, you know, truthfully, it's, it's such a gift to be part of this organization because we do see hardships. You know, we do see struggles. Not everybody makes it, but we also get to experience the miracles, all right? We get to see chains broken, we get to see families reunited. We get to see lives restored, right? And I just want to say that what Christ did for me and what he's doing for my brothers and what he's done for a lot of people in here, he could do for anybody. Nobody is beyond the hope that is found in Christ Jesus, no matter what you're going through. But I do know this. We need each other, right? We need community. Nobody has to fight this battle by themselves. There's so many resources out there that can help, and there is hope. We serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of forgiveness and healing. And so we'd love to have a conversation with you after the service if you feel like this is something that's close to your heart. Maybe you know somebody that's out there struggling right now. Um, we're here to serve as the body of Christ, knowing that it's through relationships and the power of Jesus that we can overcome all addictions whatever they look like. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Stephen and um, just how he shepherds this church and how he has poured into my life. I'm just so grateful, God. I thank you for your love and your kindness and your mercy over our lives, God. And I know that there are people out there right now that are that are struggling. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe it's not alcohol. But maybe it's something that has them gripped. Something that they feel like they're powerless over. And we know that the answer is found in Christ Jesus. I also want to pray for the still suffering addict who's out in the streets right now. Alone. He may feel hopeless. He may feel desperate, God. But I pray that they would lean into you and that you would put people in their lives that would point them back to the cross. We invite your spirit um, into this service as we continue to worship, and we just, we love you and we cherish you, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.